Welcome to Wisdom Trek with Gramps. I am Guthrie Chamberlain, and we are on day 2,118 of our trek. The purpose of Wisdom Trek is to create a legacy of wisdom, to seek out discernment and insights, and to boldly grow where few have chosen to grow before. Today we continue with our ongoing series of messages that I delivered at Putnam Congregational Church over the past couple of years. This message is the final series in a five-week series titled Becoming a Radical Disciple. I pray that it will be a conduit of learning and encouragement for you. Thank you, Sarah. Great job. Thanks, kids, for helping out with us, too. Hope you, you understand that those weights can be considered a burden. And today, I want to thank everyone for being here as we have our fifth message in the series of Becoming a Radical Disciple. And today we're going to talk about dependence and life through death. And my purpose, as I'd mentioned in the last four weeks in this series, is to consider eight character traits of the Christian discipleship that are often neglected but need to be taken seriously. In the past four weeks, we've explored nonconformity, Christ-likeness, maturity, creation care, and then last week we looked at two of them, which is living a simple and balanced life. In this week, we want to look at the final two character traits, which is dependence and death. And I want to first explore dependence. And I have to admit, one area of my life that I continually struggle with is dependence on others. But I know in my heart that if I'm ever to become fully a radical disciple, I need to depend on others in order to have a rich and satisfying life that Christ promised us. And as I reflect on my past 65 years of life as an adult, four significant times came to my mind this week as I was preparing, where it left me no choice but to depend on others. The first significant time, I think, which impacted us significantly was after nearly 18 years of running a successful computer business, and we had expanded to three locations, we had over 50 employees, and we were forced to close and lost most of our personal finances in the process. I indeed take responsibility because we made some unwise choices of growing too fast and acquiring two other computer businesses, and we did not fully realize that the values and the worldview of the other owners were not as closely aligned with ours as we had thought. And as a result, we did not do enough due diligence it did not have enough financial strength required. It was in 2000 when the dot-com boom was going strong and they had unheard of valuations out of the technology companies in the West Coast. Then all of a sudden, it went bust shortly after our acquisitions. And resulting, the financial markets dried up completely for technology businesses and the loans that we thought we had secured evaporated overnight, and we went bust with the markets. And during that time, it helped me to realize how valuable dependence on family and friends, and even Putnam Church, if you remember back, for a time allowed us to work with the youth during that time to help us to get back up on our feet once again. Now, we had to work very hard to overcome that failure by learning some valuable lessons during that, those days. The second time that came to mind is when Hazel was diagnosed with leukemia and there was absolutely nothing 
that we could do. But again, dependence on God, our family, many friends, and the valuable lessons that we learned. And now she's a healthy, spunky, robust redhead that just will say, won't let you say no to anything. The third time is when I made a choice to combine a very large chainsaw with an extension ladder. As a result, a not-so-huge branch snapped back, kicked me off the ladder as I fell to the cement sidewalk below, fracturing my left femur right below the hip joint. It could have been so much worse if I'd fallen on my head or the chainsaw fell on top of me. But I praise God that it was not. But right after the fall, I realized my dependence on so many people. First of all, my nephew, who had to prop me up so I could sort of sit up on the ground where my legs stuck out in an odd, unusual angle. Had to depend on Paula, who directed the ambulance because they couldn't find our house. They were just going back and forth on Chamberlain Drive slowly, trying to figure out where in the world they were supposed to be. But I thank the ambulance crew, the medical staff, the surgeon were all needed, and I was totally helpless and dependent on them. And it once again reminded me of my dependence on others. And the final story I want to mention is more recent. And it happened the same night that I started speaking full-time here at Putnam on May 16th. That night, my dad died. And it was, fell on me, my primary responsibility for the funeral arrangements was mine since I was the oldest son and living in Marietta. I'm sure John can somewhat relate to some of those dependence on others. And if it were not for my brother Jack, some other siblings that were able to help me out, our own kids who helped with the videoing of the events and other things around the house, but even very importantly, you as a church family who provided untold number of dishes for us so when my family came in, we could celebrate together without having to worry about all the food and taking care of them. And that because we were dependent on others, we had a beautiful church service, beautiful graveside service, and a beautiful family celebration afterwards. And it also has allowed me to prepare that week for a message that I had to give that following Sunday, the day after. And I felt I was still prepared because I could depend on so many other people. And I realized that God can use dependence on others during these experiences to bring around a greater maturity in me. And through these situations, I'm more sensitive to the financial plights of others than I think I would have been otherwise. I'm more sensitive to those who are going through terminal illnesses. I'm much more willing to think through the consequences of my decisions and realize that I'm not invulnerable, that I can make dumb decisions that kick me off a ladder. And I'm also through that willing to accept others' help. And while I usually mask my feelings and I don't often openly cry, my sensitive side is never too deep below the surface. And I find various times throughout the week that I'm brought to tears thinking about the goodness of God or when I'm preparing the message for Sunday 
of how that's impacting me. Or when I just hear a hymn playing on the computer and it strikes to the very core of my soul and I realize that I'm entirely dependent on God and by extension to my family and you as my church family and friends. Yes, these experiences where I made less than wise choices caused me some personal humiliation. However, it forced me to be dependent on others. And humiliation, I've concluded, is the true path to humility. Without having tasted the humility and dependence, it would be impossible to climb back out of those places and put my confidence in God firmly. And I found that humility also brings maturity. So dependence, our dependence is grounded on our humility. And I have five takeaways under this point to focus on to become radical disciples through dependence. The first one is, and I hope you can see this okay, be thankful. Thank God often and continually. Thank God carefully and with wonder for your continued privileges. Thankfulness is the soil which pride does not grow quickly. Consider that. Thankfulness is the soil in which pride does not go quick, grow quickly. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5.18, it says, Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for those who belong to Christ Jesus. The next takeaway that I found is confession of sins. We need to take care of confession of our sins because that's a time of self-examination and evaluation. 1 John 1.9 tells us if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. Third, which I've had to learn over and over and I continually learn, is to humble yourself. Be ready to accept humiliations in life. They can hurt terribly, but they can help you to become humble. There can be trivial humiliations, which I experience nearly every day. Accept them. And there can be bigger humiliations, which I've learned throughout my years as an adult. We need to accept those bigger humiliations and learn from them. All these can be chances for us to grow nearer to the humble and crucified Lord. Because James, the half-brother of Jesus, told us in James chapter 4, verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. He'll lift you up in honor if we humble ourselves. Next one is draw close to God. Don't worry about your status in, in front of other people, your status in society. There's only one status that God wants us to be concerned with, and that's our status and proximity to himself. As James chapter 4, verse 8 says, Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. And the last takeaway on dependence is have a sense of humor. Don't be so serious about life. Use a sense of humor to enjoy life. Laugh about things. Laugh about the absurdities of life. You ever were a mouse in the corner of our office where Paul and I worked together in the same room? You would find us laughing 
back and forth throughout the day, usually at the absurdities of life. So laugh at yourself and your, your stupidity. Believe you me, I have plenty to laugh about myself. Enjoy the life that God has given you. We are all so infinitesimally small and preposterous creatures before the God of the universe. Now, I know there's times where you should be serious, but you don't have to be solemn because if you're solemn about anything, you risk about becoming solemn about yourself and everything around you. And one of the best snapshots of life was from King Solomon in his old age after he had experienced everything in life. He wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 18 through 20, even so, I have noticed one thing, at least that is good. It is good for people to eat, drink, and enjoy their work under the sun during the short life God has given them, that God has given them, and to accept their lot in life. And it is good, a good thing to receive wealth from God and a good health to enjoy it. To enjoy your work and to accept your lot in life is indeed a gift from God. God keeps such people so busy enjoying life that they, they take no time to brood over the past. So I have found that refusal to be dependent on, on others is not a sign of maturity, but immaturity. It's not a sign of humility, but it's actually a sign of pride when we're not dependent on others. And I know I struggle with this more than anyone I know. I don't want to be a burden on others. I want to be self-sufficient. However, I'm discovering that we're all designed to be a burden to each other as radical disciples. You are intended to be a burden to me, and I'm intended to be a burden to you. The family that God has given us, both our own family and the family we have in our local church, should be one of mutual burdensomeness. The Apostle Paul teaches us in Galatians chapter 6, verses 2 and 3, which Sarah read during the kids' message, share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You're not that important. I think the Apostle Paul hit the nail on the head there, that we do depend on others, and we must accept that dependence and enjoy that dependence. Because if we're dependent on others, then we know that at someday those people will be dependent on us also and we can share that mutual burden. Which brings us to our eighth and final character trait of becoming a radical disciple, and that is death. Something we've been all too familiar with this year, even within our own church. Let me explain. Christianity offers life, abundant life, because Christ told us in John chapter 10, verse 10, a thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. But it makes it plain that the road to life is through death. It underlines this in at least six areas. And life through death is one of the most profound paradoxes in both the Christian faith and our Christian life. Both life and death have always fascinated the human race. And there can be no doubt that we are alive today. At least I think I see everyone breathing today, even with my glasses off. So I'm assuming everybody's still alive here. But one thing for certain, we will all die. Just as certain as we are alive today. 
Life and death are two indisputable facts which we have to come to terms with. But they are also two mysteries that are hard to define. The radical disciple's perspective sees death not as a termination of life, but a gateway to a new life. This perspective is so different from the assumptions of the secular mind. It's such a novel idea, such revolutionary in its implications that we see it illustrated in six different situations in which we operate according to the New Testament. The first situation is in salvation. First of all, we see death and life in relationship to our salvation. Salvation is often represented as new life. And Paul wrote this, that the gift of God is eternal life. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, he says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. John explained that those who have the Son has life in 1 John chapter 5, verse 12, where he says, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son, God's Son, does not have life. The second situation is that of discipleship. The same principle of life through death operates in discipleship as well as it does in salvation. And Jesus gives us a vivid symbolism in Mark chapter 8, verse 34 and 35, when he said, Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. And if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. The symbol of the cross is a symbol of death. And Christ is clearly telling us here to take up our cross. That means take up the death through that he is completely paid for. The verse is dramatic imagery that Jesus used for self-denial. For if we are to follow Jesus, there's only one place that we're going, to the place of death. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. So as Christ calls us, Christ calls us to death of our human nature. Luke takes it one step further when he wrote about Christ. When we take, take up our cross daily in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way Take up your cross daily and follow me. It's not something we do on Sundays. It's not something we do when we feel spiritual. It's something we have to do every day. But later, the Apostle Paul explained how we're to live each day, and it's through new life. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting on the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we live through Christ now. We're dead to ourselves, but alive in Christ. The next situation is our mission in life, or what I call our vocation. This is our purpose for being here on earth. The third area of life through death operates in this very mission, or our vocation, and what our vocation is. If you remember back to the Sermon on the Mount, we who are now citizens of God's kingdom, our occupation, what we do for a living, is only a means to an end. That's not our vocation. 
That's our occupation. It provides us the resources needed to share the good news with others as they become citizens of God's kingdom. We're to die to ourselves so that we become the salt of the earth and the light of the world. John chapter 12, verse 22 through 25, Jesus replied, Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death produces many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. The next situation is persecution. So this is our fourth area, and it's found the way where life to death is through physical persecution. And we're so blessed to live in a country where we suffer no persecution, where openly worship every Sunday or whenever we want to without any fear of reprisal. We're one of the few countries in this world that allows that openly and as freely as we have it here in the United States. And I just praise God to be born in this situation. But for many Christ followers, even today, they can relate to Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 30 and 31. And why should we ask our, and why should we ourselves risk our lives hour by hour? For I swear, dear brothers and sisters, that I face death daily. This is as certain as my pride in what Christ Jesus our Lord has done in you. The church in China, the church in Afghanistan, is it's on our top of our mind. The churches in many African nations can also relate to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be also seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life Jesus of, of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. Physical persecution. And we need to be prepared. We need to prepare ourselves. If this type of persecution ever does come to the United States, that we have taken the character traits and become a radical disciple so that we too can endure that persecution. The fifth situation is that of martyrdom. In consideration of life through death, I'm separating martyrdom from persecution, and I realize there's a lot of overlapping, and they're connected in many cases, but there is a distinction between remaining loyalty, loyal to God in persecution and then being willing to sacrifice your very life for staying faithful to God. Unfortunately, in the past few years, Nigeria is experiencing the worst reports of Christians being killed. killed. A recent report just at the end of July of this year, less than a month ago, from a Nigerian human, human rights group states that more than 3,400 Christians have been murdered by Ni Nigerian jihadists in the last 200 days. This is an average of 17 Christians in Nigeria being killed every day this year. Tragic. We think of how tragic the 12, 13 lives that were lost in Afghanistan from our, our armed services people and how tragic that truly is. 
and the persecution and the deaths of, of Afghanistan people are being killed. But in Nigeria, it's a daily happening where they, the jihadists go in and round up Christians and kill them. And of all the interventions into other countries that the U.S. and its allies have had over the years, I struggle why we're not doing more for countries like Nigeria, where the persecution is so blatant. And I just pray that something can be done. We need to pray that it can. Despite this, the church in Nigeria is exploding in both strength and numbers. Out of the 206 million people in Nigeria, 48.1%, almost half of them, identify as being Christian. And that's good news. And part of that may be coming because of the persecution that they're experiencing, the martyrdom that they're experiencing. And the last situation that we want to look at today is that of mortality. And so far, we've considered five areas in which death is the way to new life. And now we face mortality, the death of our own physical bodies or those of our loved ones. And having experienced several deaths within our church family this year alone, we know all too well that physical death will come to all of us. And the only thing that would prevent that is if Christ returns and finishes setting up his kingdom here on earth. Death does inspire terror in many people in this world. And why we who have experienced that death in our lives on a personal level this year are saddened, death holds no horrors for us as Christians. The dying process can be messy and undignified as we're experiencing in our own families. And the decay that follows death is not pleasant at all. The Bible itself recognizes when it refers to death as the last enemy. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 26, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Jesus Christ has personally conquered it by his resurrection. So that it no longer has any authority over us. As citizens of God's kingdom, death has no authority over us. We're free from death. It's only a gateway to eternal life. Jesus Christ personally conquered it. And consequently, we can be confident when we proclaim the words that the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 40, 54 through 58. And part of this was taken from the Old Testament and as he writes it. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into the bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting which results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and unmovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing done that you do for the Lord is ever useless. Such powerful words. The defeat of death is one thing. The gift of a new and abundant life that we have today is quite another. And the hope of eternal life with God for all eternity is our finality. And we can rejoice in that. During these last five weeks, we've considered 
eight character traits if we desire to follow Jesus in forming a portrait of becoming a radical disciple. And my hope and prayer that each of you apply what we have learned and continue on our trek of life to become radical disciples. And as I've mentioned in the last four weeks, our theme verse for this series is Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And I've asked you to read through that each week. I would like you to commit to memorizing this verse. Romans 12, verse 2 says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know what God's will is for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. That's all we need to know. The situations we've talked about today. Becoming a radical disciple. And I just pray that this series has been as impactful and meaningful to you as it has been to me as I've studied for it. Next week, I think we're going to start on the book of James. James, look at James as the Old Testament or New Testament counterpart to the book of Proverbs. It's filled with godly wisdom that James, the half-brother of Jesus Christ, wrote. Can you imagine having Christ as an older brother? That would be difficult to live up to. But we'll see the wisdom that James gained with his close relationship. And he did not become a believer till after Christ was crucified and rose again. And I just pray that that series will help us to gain the wisdom God wants us to. So let us pray. Father, we do thank you so much for your love and your goodness to us. We rejoice that we can become radical disciples as we've learned about over these last five weeks. Help us to understand our dependence on you and each other. Help us to understand that the only way to life is through death. And that we can rejoice. That we can die as a kernel of wheat so that many kernels will grow into new lives. Help us to be those radical disciples that we desire to be, Father. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I pray that this message was a blessing and a time of learning from God's Word. Thank you so much for allowing me to be your guide, your mentor, but most importantly, I am your friend, as I serve you through the Wisdom Trek podcast and journal each day. And as we take this trek of life together, let us always live abundantly, love unconditionally, listen intentionally, learn continuously, lend to others generously, lead with integrity, and leave a living legacy each day. I am Guthrie Chamberlain, reminding you to keep moving forward, enjoy your journey, and create a great day every day. See you next time for more wisdom from God's Word.